Middle Market Growth Conversations podcast. I'm Katie Mulligan, Editor-in-Chief of ACG's magazine, Middle Market Growth. My guest for this week's episode is Terry Gronke, Chairman and CEO of Erie Street, an independent advisory firm based in Chicago. I first reached out to Terry and his team a few weeks before the coronavirus upended the economy as we know it. And at that point, I was hoping to talk to Terry about Erie Street's rebranding and how that ties into his theory of value creation. Erie Street looks for opportunities within disrupted markets that can benefit from its capabilities in technology, IT, strategy, consulting, and digital marketing. And you'll hear Terry talk more about the firm's approach. So the rebrand and value creation formed my original pitch when inviting Terry onto the podcast, and we do talk about those topics in this episode. But given everything that's happened since then, I also wanted to ask Terry about how Erie Street is responding to the current crisis and what lessons he's learned from leading organizations through downturns earlier in his career. He started out as an entrepreneur when he founded his first business in college, and he's since had years of operating experience, including as a public company CEO. He's also spent years on the investor side. We talked about that experience and his investment philosophy, but we also cover some lighter stuff too, like how Terry's spending his downtime while sheltering in place and his tips for hosting virtual happy hours with staff. Before we started taping, Terry asked me if this episode was going to include our usual groovy music. And as you can already tell, the answer is yes. Here's my conversation with Terry Gronke. Terry, thanks for joining me on the podcast. Great to be together. We are in an interesting moment right now, and businesses are having to solve problems on many fronts, whether that's a cash crunch, for others it's figuring out how to operate with a remote workforce, What are some of the challenges that you're focused on right now at Erie Street? Well, uh, first and foremost, not surprisingly, it's the health and welfare of all of the people that we touch, the people that work for Erie Street, um, the people that uh, work for the portfolio or we call them partner companies that we're involved with, and all of the supply chains, the the suppliers and and all those touch points. So uh, we spent a fair amount of time the week before last, actually, just kind of putting our arms around um, people and making sure that that um, they were okay. After that, obviously, with the lockdowns that have gone on throughout the country, we're in, in Chicago, so in Illinois, it was, uh, started a week ago Monday. We immediately went into the mode of let's make sure that everyone has the proper technology to be able to uh, communicate with each other, be engaged with one another, both from a, a social and well-being perspective, but also then ideally beginning to work. It felt to me like the first two or three days of last week um, really was everyone trying to figure out how to work from home for many people, including myself. This is a a relatively new experience. And so um, it's one thing to work one Friday out of five from home. It's another thing to be locked down and uh, try to carry on business. So first and foremost, it's about making sure everyone's okay and, and making sure they have the technology to communicate and work. And you've held leadership positions at a number of organizations prior to founding Erie Street. So this is not the first time that you've had to steer a company through an economic crisis. How did those earlier experiences shape your approach today? I'm, I'm a, somewhat of a reformed entrepreneur. I actually started my first business in college. And um, when I started that business, this was in the early 80s. So interest rates were nearly 20%. So I started a business in, in a pretty bad economic time. And so you just, you, you learned to adapt. You learn how to build, in this case, it was a startup, but you learn how to build a business without any debt. 
um, because you couldn't afford 20% interest rates. And you learn how to rely on uh, people and kind of inspirational intellectual innovation as opposed to, you know, being able to spend a lot of money on CapEx and, and that type of thing. So that was kind of the first part of my career. And the second part, I, I actually went more to the investment side through a family office and spent a good number of years as a investor. And, and when the next kind of downturn hit, uh, we were in the middle of selling a bunch of businesses. And so you just pivot. We didn't sell. We actually built those businesses. And one of the things I found interesting in the 2009, 2008, 2009 downturn was that after, you know, seven or eight years of robust expansion, particularly because by then I was investing through an institutional fund, the amount of leverage that dried up almost immediately caused a completely different kind of behavior. It shut down M&A, put us in a spot where we really needed to just organically grow the businesses. And so because of that entrepreneurial background and as a business leader, um, I was in a unique spot and had built an organization that really was intimately involved with the companies that we were partnering with. And we use a metaphor then and still do today that we, we like to think of um, our partnerships as, as a garden and we're all gardeners together. And we want to make sure that we affiliate and associate with people that are willing to put their hands in the dirt as opposed to standing up on top of the hill and pointing uh, to somebody else to put their hands in the dirt. And so if you're engaged at that level, it's a lot more meaningful for how you can work your way through some of these difficult times. I wanted to ask you about one company in particular that you've partnered with, 3Q Digital. You wrote about them in a recent LinkedIn post, and you talked about how they've operated with a virtual workforce for a while now. So I wondered if you could talk about how they've supported their remote employees and if there's lessons that other companies can take away for how to adapt to this virtual work model, which a lot of us have been forced into, at, at least temporarily. Yeah, I, um, 3Q had the advantage of starting in a downturn also. They were grossly undercapitalized when they started the business as, as two founders that built the company with their own money. And as a result, they bootstrapped. And that yeah. meant not a very big home office. And, and because they're primarily technology and IT advisors, um, it was pretty normal to be working um, from the client site, which then led to kind of more of a work from home kind of environment. So they're, they're I would say two thirds virtual and now of course 100% virtual. So we had the advantage there of them already having the technology in place, more importantly already having, having the mindset in place of how they communicate through company meetings and so forth via voice. Now with Zoom, as you and I are, are today, um, it's much easier to have virtual FaceTime via video conference. And Microsoft Teams and other things are, are creating an environment where a lot of that technology is in the cloud. It's much easier than when we were all spending $300,000 per conference room around the world to put in video conference. So 3Q is, is accustomed to it. They're good at it. Um, we did, um, we, we've, in, we've instituted a couple of new things um, like Last Thursday, I think it was, we had a uh, virtual town hall uh, just to make sure everybody was okay. And we had everybody in the company on the call walk through our plans and how uh, they may, or in some cases may not, have changed as a result of the current environment that we're in. I talked about some of the M&A that we're doing that we're carrying on with um, to shore up some areas clients have needs in that could be really impactful for them going forward. And really just about everybody to have a moment for asking questions and making sure 
that leadership was telling them it's going to be okay, that we're in a good spot, that we're, you know, we're managing liquidity and we're managing the things that is on everyone's mind. And one of the, one of the tricks through this whole process is to, is to certainly through leadership, be encouraging and hopeful, but you have to be honest and you have to be honest in a way that deals with the cold, hard facts. And I think that, you know, you don't have to spend much time watching CNN to see two or three different ways that that's happening uh, in, a, in a political environment. And I think that really underscores how sometimes the hard news delivered in a way that is compassionate and kind and caring and thoughtful, but honest, goes a lot further than trying to sugarcoat everything and just cheerlead. Mm-hmm. And earlier today, I was talking to someone about one of the ways that I'm trying to stay sane in the working from home era is by making sure that I get outside during the day, that I go running. And one of the things that you mentioned in your LinkedIn post was that 3Q has added a pretty interesting fitness perk. So I wondered if you could talk about that too. Um, it, you know, it's interesting. I, this, this goes back to a kind of an old lesson. Back in the 90s, I built one of the early um, web development companies. I've, I've been fortunate enough to be involved in uh, and found 11 different startup companies in my career and be involved with uh, 43 separate operating businesses where we've acquired something and then consolidated transforming industries. One of those um, in the 90s was actually one of the early web development companies, a company called Eagle River. And for a lot of reasons, we started the business at the base of Beaver Creek in Avon, Colorado. And we, we actually hired a bunch of people out of Apple TV, which had just shut down in those days, and a bunch of people out of Accenture. It was Anderson Consulting in those days. Um, a bunch. We, we ended up about 80 people at the base of, of Beaver Creek. And part of the lure was to live in Vail. And so as a result of that, we had, everyone had the benefit of a ski pass as a part of, as a part of their perk. And, uh, and the business grew extremely rapidly as a result of the internet development. And uh, as it grew, we bought or built organically offices initially around the United States and then around the world. And somewhere along the way, someone said, wait a second, the people in Vail get the ski pass. What, you know, that's $200 or whatever it was in those days. What do we get? And so you, you adjust, we had to adjust because we couldn't afford to give, at that point, 1,000 employees all you know, $300 ski pass. And we didn't want to take away what we had. And so you learn to adapt in those kinds of environments. Similarly, um, recently at 3Q, there's a perk of uh, helping pay for health club membership. And what we did in that case was simply say, all right, there's going to be a period of time, perhaps a long period of time, that you're not going to be able to go to a health club. And so take that same amount of money and figure out how to apply that so that you can, as you just said, Katie, work out in a different environment. And so whether that's Peloton fees or you know, other things that you can do to stay sane by getting a little bit of exercise, we're happy to just move that perk into something that's current with the environment that we find ourselves in today. Mm-hmm. I know that's such a good idea. I'm going to reference one other LinkedIn article, and I promise that's the last time I do this. Um, But you wrote last year a post where you talked about the elements of successful partnerships. And the first bullet on that list was spending as much or more time with people as you do with spreadsheets. Obviously, that is not something that we can do in the current environment. So I'm wondering what that looks like for you personally in this period of social distancing. It looks just like this. It looks like you and I on a Zoom on a Zoom call. Uh, it, it's uh, you know I because of the unique career I've had relative to being an entrepreneur 
then building businesses and then owning businesses that we bought and working with family offices and raising funds and all of that. What I found over time, and the reason, as I mentioned at the top of this discussion, that caused me to be in an airplane three or four days a week for the last 20, uh, 35 years is I find it best when I sit across the table from someone, particularly if it's a founder led business uh, and, and can relate with the fact that I've, I've also made payroll. I've also had to go to 30 banks to get a $700,000 bank loan. I've been in, in her or his shoes and that is best done across the table from somebody. You, it, it, I refer to it as building a trust bridge. Those trust bridges come with uh, careful time, honest communication, forthright discussions around difficult concepts, particularly in a transaction, an M&A transaction. And if you can do that in person, it's great. Right now we can't. And so now we're doing that via Zoom. We are, as I mentioned earlier, in the middle of, um, of a couple of deals that we expect to carry on and close in the next 30 days. And all of that um, trust bridge building is going on via video on Zoom right now. I don't like it, um, but unfortunately, I don't, I don't have any choice. I'm itching to get back out there and, and be with people because that's, that's what I enjoy the most. And I found it to just be the most effective. Mm-hmm. A few months back before the world turned upside down, I had first reached out to you and your team to talk about Erie Street's rebranding and the value creation philosophy behind that name change, um, which I think is still relevant today. So I still do want to ask you about that. Can you walk us through how you think about value creation and and how those roles have changed? When I started Erie Street uh, two and a half years ago, um, the idea was pretty simple. The idea was that um, I would create an advisory business. Initially, it was just me and, a, and a, an executive assistant that would be able to outreach to people that were looking to sell their business or people that were looking to buy a business, private equity firms, family offices, and the like, where they needed um, some level of expertise or thinking or judgment. And, and so over the course of the last two and a half years, that's exactly what's happened. We, we, were, we were looking at, on average, 100 companies a year um, in a variety of different settings, um, either for private equity or for family offices, so on the investor side or on the company side. The way we looked to be compensated, rather than charging advisory fees, is if, in fact, we consummated a transaction, um, we would be partners in that with our capital at Erie Street and our time, which then, um, for example, we would... Um, go on the board or I would be the executive chairman or or the like. Over time, what's happened is we've actually built out streams of capabilities, both in technology and in IT, in um, uh, strategy, consulting, marketing, um, digital marketing, and those, those types of capabilities. So um, what became clear is that if we called ourselves Erie Street Capital, it was a little bit misleading. We talked about switching it to Erie Street Advisory or Consulting, and we just decided it would be better to just have it be Erie Street. But the, the premise or the North Star has never changed. It's always been the same. It's always been this notion of let's find ourselves into unique opportunities, disrupted uh, markets that can use our level of understanding and expertise at an operational level. So we want to approach these opportunities from the people first, because everything we do is business services, and work our way into improvements in the business, both top of funnel revenue stuff and SG&A cost-related activities, work with the management team to, to set out a plan so that strategically those kinds of things are outlined ahead of 
any kind of a transaction that that we agree to those ahead of time. We agree to whether it's transformational uh, C-suite changes or whether it's putting in place a, some type of a, an enterprise management system. We agree with all that stuff before we go forward, which is pretty unique. We then work our way into the balance sheet and we figure out what the right amount of leverage, if any, on the deal or the company might be in a world where most of the time it's the other way around. It's first, what, what do we have to pay for the business? How much leverage can we put on it? And what, what does the company look like? We just come at it from the other way. And so it sounds like in terms of the rebranding from Erie Street Capital to Erie Street, it was less about a pivot in terms of what you were doing and more of adjusting the name to better reflect what you stand for. That's right. If there was a pivot at all, the pivot was scale. I didn't expect the business to grow to the scale and size. Um, we just followed the opportunities in terms of building out capabilities in uh, marketing support, building out capabilities in transformational SGNA support. We found ourselves um, a little surprisingly, but we found ourselves being called into very, very large transactions for our advice and counsel. And so that caused us to have to scale the business a little bit differently. And, and just to put some meat on the bones on that, we went from the kinds of businesses we get involved with from an acquisition point of view are that 10 to $30 million of EBITDA. Um, and we were getting called into 100 to $450 million EBITDA opportunities from large, um, the biggest in the world kinds of investors that wanted our counsel and advice. And um, because we didn't really have a dog in, in the hunt from the point of view of having to deploy capital, uh, because we don't have an institutional fund, we just inv invest um, our own money at Erie Street. We weren't afraid to say no when we would look at things, which caused us to then get other opportunities because of that level of uh, uh, straightforward or frankness. And looking at the companies that Erie Street has partnered with, there seems to be a strong focus on digital. And one thing that has jumped out to me about the coronavirus outbreak has been how well tech companies like Zoom and Netflix and Uber Eats, how well they've done through all of this. It's, of course, way too soon to say how that plays out in the long run, but I wonder if this phenomenon has maybe strengthened or altered your thesis around the types of firms that you partner with. There's been a, maybe a growing up in business services in particular around this whole notion of what's digital. Um, there was a, there was a uh, uh, 10 years probably where there was a measurement around, okay, within the revenue stream, how much of it is digital? How much of it is truly digital? I would say that chapter is past. It's closed. Mm -hmm. It's now everything is, is some level at some level is touched by digital and to a great degree is touched by digital. Um, the things that we're looking at doing are, are almost all digital in some form or another. Um, we find ourselves consistently advising around how can we make revenue grow in a company at the top of the funnel um, through digital capabilities, which we have great expertise in? How do we improve SEO? How do we improve SEM? All, all of the digital kind of now adolescence that we find um, in the ability to improve companies, large or small, um, some of the biggest in the world and some startups. And so we definitely hunt in and around the area of, of digital, but now it's much more um, best practices or digital improvement as opposed to, um, hey, let's get them digital. Uh, the other thing that is really interesting to us is really the notion of transformation or disruption. And so where last year we were looking at and helping others look at companies and deals that had a very high price tag on them, there were, there were kind of two parts. Either they, they were really interesting and really expensive because they were good businesses. 
So we would get called in to say, how do we buy something for 12 times EBITDA that once we own it because of improvements, it will feel more like nine times EBITDA or 10 times EBITDA. In other words, can we improve how the company goes to market to improve that, that margin? Hmm. Or are there are suppliers we can add into the business immediately um, or parts of the business that we can, through M&A, average down that price. So we, we would spend a good deal of time looking at deals like that. Or uh, businesses would be seven, eight times EBITDA because they had hair on them. They had some issues. They had, um, they had something that needed to be fixed. And the skill sets we have are unique in that we can look at them either way. And so we would be involved in those kinds of deals, generally looking at the top of the revenue funnel. How do we improve, and, uh, how do we improve growth? Business has been flat for a few years. What do we do about um, transitioning management? Those kinds of things. And so all, both, in both cases, it, it revolves around some form of transformation. Um, where we've made investments, it's been where we see disruption in the market, where we can apply that transformational capability. I think that, not surprisingly, based on where we sit here today in the middle of this coronavirus epidemic, we're going to see a lot more of that. I think that there's going to be um, some very interesting um, investment opportunities. I think there's going to be some really candidly, particularly in the short run, some ways to dig in and help companies survive from a liquidity and cash flow perspective. Last night, um, late into the night, we were working through creating a white paper on on the new uh, bailout plan. And what does that mean to, to small um, and medium-sized businesses? There's $350 billion in that $2 trillion plan that's earmarked to um, help short-term liquidity for, for small businesses. And how, how do you accelerate that? Uh, through our um, our partners at APCO that are in the public policy world, we were working through those issues um, so that we can not only, in some cases, have some of the companies we're directly involved with um, be helped by that. More importantly, just get that out to the community. One of the great advantages we have is we served 200 private equity firms last year through our advisory business. And most of those are middle market firms. And of those, you know, the average, I don't know, 20 portfolio companies each or something like that. And so there's a pretty nice data set of small, medium-sized businesses that understanding how suddenly they could borrow money in the next two or three weeks that they didn't think they could might be just the elixir of liquidity they need to, to survive. One of the underlying foundations of that bill, as we understand it, is you can't, you've got to hold your staff, which I think is great. Yeah. I mean, that let's all lock arms together and figure out how we get to September <laughs> with a minimum amount of cutting that's already been made. Yeah, absolutely. Well, I want to wrap it up by asking you more a question on the personal side. Like all business leaders, I imagine that this is an extremely busy time for you. You just mentioned working through the night last night, looking at some of the details of this of this bill. That said, now that Chicago, where we're both based, has essentially shut down, is there anything fun or relaxing that you're doing in your downtime while you shelter in place? We actually locked uh, or shut down two weeks ago tomorrow. So we we told our staff two days before Illinois shut down, so that Thursday and Friday, the week before last, um, to work from home. Mm-hmm. And so this we're, we're just wrapping up two weeks. I promised myself in those at the beginning of that, that I would, I would get up early every morning and do a combination of, of uh, workout and, um, with cardio and yoga. And so um, I teased Sue, my wife, that yoga with Adrian is my new, uh, I'm having an affair in the, in the gym downstairs in our, our <laughs> house with Adrian, who did a pretty good job of kicking my ass 
this morning, as a matter of fact. <laughs> Shout out to uh, Adrian. From a company. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Shout out to Adrian. From a company point of view, um, last week, we, uh, we sent our staff all um, a couple bottles of wine on, I think it was Thursday. And then Friday, uh, we had a virtual happy hour. If you haven't been in one of these yet, they're, they're a little bit awkward at first, to be honest, but they're pretty fun because the, the Zoom, you know, you're all stacked up like the Brady Bunch looking at each other. <laughs> we, we made it so that you had to wear a goofy hat um, and, or a hat, it doesn't have to be goofy, and so that you, we would have something to talk about. Katie, why are you wearing that hat? What is that hat? And everybody had a little story to tell off the hat, and everybody was drinking the wine that we sent. Um, we've got a, we've got a couple of other things up our sleeve that next time we talk, I'll tell you about that. I want to surprise my staff. So I don't want to, but I, you know, it's, I think we need to have fun. We need to laugh. We need to find ways through all this to be engaged from a human perspective. Unfortunately, it's looking at a screen right now. It won't, it won't be, it won't be long. We'll all be back together and we'll all be, um, in a spot where we're, we're able to sit across the desk from each other. We will come out of this and we'll come out of this better. And so if you can find just goofy stuff like that to do in a way that keeps us connected. I think it's really important. In our case, it was a virtual happy hour. I love that. I can't wait to hear what the other ideas you have to roll out are. Terry, thanks so much for joining me on the podcast. I appreciate it. It was great fun. Thanks for including me. Thanks for listening to this episode of Middle Market Growth Conversations. Subscribe to the podcast in Apple Podcasts or Google Play, where you can listen to past episodes and hear the next episode in two weeks. While you're there, we'd love if you could rate the show and leave a review to help other listeners find out about us. If you have an idea for a guest or a topic that you'd like to hear on the podcast, we'd love to hear your suggestions. Please email them to editor at acg.org. I'd also encourage you to check out our website, middlemarketgrowth.org, for more content covering the middle market, private capital investment, and trends in middle market M&A.